and welcome to episode 32 of Anne and Emily Wrestling Podcast. We just released episode 31 a few hours ago, and we haven't been able to record for a little while because um, one of us got really busy with work. It was me. I got really busy with work. My name's Annalise, and I am here with the Vicar of Doom, the Reverend of Destruction, the greatest heel, heel of all time, and the co-holder of the only eight-star match in history. It's Emily the Raven. Hey! <laughs> How have you been? Have you gotten to watch any pro wrestling in the last little bit? I have. I have been very busy, but I have been watching some AEW. I'm, I'm completely reduced to just watching clips on YouTube, which is pretty cool that you can watch substantial match-length clips on YouTube. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, no thanks, three, TK. No three-minute no three bullshit from you. Um, and it's really <laughs> helpful because, you know, I, I don't have the two hours to sit down and watch Dynamite or even the hour to sit down and watch Rampage. So I'm really happy, um, and I'm really happy that we're getting to record again because I am so tired and so busy. <laughs> Starting to wear down. Um, mm. I'm having to, I'm gonna, I'm having to make time for any like little bit of recreation. But we are going to fly through this week, so I don't get so mad because I've been mad about this for a while. We left a story off of the last episode. And I put it back up into the show notes. And the reason, one of the reasons why we're going back into this is because um, it's relevant to what happened this week. And we are going to talk about what happened this week and how disgusting and horrible it is. I will bring up the whole thing uh, as we're getting into it. But when we recorded three weeks ago, two weeks ago, however long it was, we were going to originally talk then about the exclusive interview that Taya Valkyrie gave with WrestleTalk, which, by the way, everyone should go and watch it. Not just because WrestleTalk is awesome, not just because Taya Valkyrie is awesome, but because you should just go and watch it. It's really, it's really, you know, just do it. Just trust me. Um, and one of the things that Taya Valkyrie was opening up about was these issues of ageism in WWE. And to be frank, these are not good issues. And basically, the reason why Taya Valkyrie got released was because she was 38 years old. It wasn't because she didn't have a good look. She's got a great look. It wasn't because she couldn't uh, wrestle. And the reason why I put look first is because look is all fucking Vince cares about. It wasn't because she couldn't talk. She's a great talker. It was because she's 38. And I'm just going to start with the quote, and I'm going to let Emily react to this. Nobody ever told me to my face. A lot of it was interpreted by fans because of all the gossip which was put out. At first, people said it was 30, then 25, then 21. This is insane. It was a lot of gossip, and no, nobody ever pulled me aside and said, Listen, Grandma, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> Emily. <laughs> Go to town. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 
you know, this this thing with age and wrestling, of course, relates to women in wrestling, uh, but also relates to men in wrestling, and I'll I'll get to that in in a moment. But you know, I think about Thunder Rosa being in her early thirties, and even before she came to you know she she came to AEW and had the career over the last few years that she's had now she had a potential to go to WWE but they wanted her to be a coach or a trainer and she was I think in her late 20s or maybe 30 at that time and I believe she's like 34 or 35 now and you know, when she would tell the story, it always seemed like there was something with her age that was a part of it, which I thought was strange because I considered her so young and still do. And, you know, I think you just have to look at, like, people like Mickey James and just be able to see that there's something in WWE. And I think we all know where it comes from. <laughs> it comes from the top uh, down. Yeah, where, you know, like, once a woman is over 30, it's, it's like, she very quickly becomes irrelevant. And even stars like the Bellas, who, you know, of course had injuries and, um, pre- you know, pregnancy and stuff like that. But still, even when they were in their early 30s, there was already talk of them retiring. And on on their show, they would talk about their age. And I always thought, you know, this is really, really weird. So it seems like there's just a really rampant culture of ageism in WWE. And I'm sure it's out. I'm sure it's in other um, other promotions as well, or at least in individual wrestlers, maybe not in the culture necessary, necessarily. Um, But in the entertainment industry, it's definitely a long-standing huge challenge where you know you have like an actress who's a few years older than another actress casts as the other one's mom <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. like a few a few years apart but one maybe looks slightly conventionally older and it's just it, it's really it, it's sexist it's it's ageist it's and it really doesn't make any sense because there is no age limit on necessarily being in the ring to a certain point or being on, and of course being on TV or having other roles, but especially in the ring, we're seeing that, you know, the wrestlers like of our generation, the younger generation, um, you know, they've been living completely different lifestyles than the wrestlers in the 80s and 90s who wore themselves out with steroids and coke and alcohol and poor diets and constant travel and just really were, I mean, they were also abused by the system. But now we have a group of people who have been wrestling for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years who have been able to take really good care of themselves because, you know, they are part of a different generation, a different culture. And, you know, I'm thinking of people like Jericho and 
and well and sting is part of that original you know sting is part of that original generation but he's one of the exceptions where he wasn't doing all of the drugs and alcohol and you know because when you're in that good of physical shape if there are not other factors working against you there's no reason why you can't have a really long really good career and as long as it's safe for you personally um and you're attending to your own personal health there's no reason why you can't be in the ring wrestling and it's awesome it's awesome to see people of any age be able to wrestle um and that's where the twisted world events and uh pritchard and Laurenitis and all of their ilk uh is just in yet another way limiting a really great piece of athletic art by saying at this arbitrary age you're done and if you're a man we'll we'll sure we'll probably let you go a little bit longer but we're still going to you know have some prejudice against so so-called older male wrestlers as well and the thing that i wanted to bring up with that which you know this i don't want to take away at all from it being uh uniquely different for women because it's it's tied to objectifying them sexually but it's still a concern for male wrestlers and CM Punk talked about that in the media scrum that he mm-hmm. did after Double or Nothing and he said during that that he used to look at guys in their 40s and be like oh why is he in the ring can't believe you know he's doing that and then he said, now I'm 42 and I feel like I'm in the prime of my life and I don't have any of these concerns and my mind, you know, his mind is completely changed, um, which is great and absolutely true because it really should be up to the individual ability of the wrestler and their, you know, their decision whether or not they get to go in the ring and wrestle um, and and contribute to you know this incredible like culture of pro wrestling whether whatever promotion they're in so and at the same time though there are definitely uh men who don't know when to retire and who keep trying to come yes um and and that you're able to do that because they have so much perceived power as a draw and i'm sorry Bill 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 goldberg Go away. Yeah. Well, and the and the the women wrestlers would not get that opportunity. No. You know, they because they don't have that power that like an older white, especially white male wrestler, you know, has. Um so yeah, there are a lot of layers to this and it's it's incredibly important because you know, it's it's a it's ignoring what people can actually do to appease the sexual taste of a very small group of older white men. <laughs> that's just really messed up because that's not <laughs> what wrestling should be at all. Well, I want to run down just the ages of some of the really amazing women who are still very much at the top of the game. And this is a list of women who you could consider to be the best 
in the world and the best in their individual companies. So just to start with, Mako Satomura, current NXT uh, UK champion. Thankfully, they've forgotten that NXT UK exists. 42 years old. Yeah. And still one of the best technical wrestlers in the world. One of the best submission wrestlers in the world. And I didn't say women's. Um, still one, mm-hmm. of, one of the best in-ring generals you'll ever find. Asuka is 40. Right. Right. Um, Charlotte Flair is 36. And, you know, say what you want about her back backstage politics and whether or not you like her push. Charlotte Flair is a great professional wrestler. Becky Lynch is 35. <laughs> Bailey is 33. Sasha is 30. Uh, Lady Frost, who is in this ageism con- conversation because she was told, we don't hire wrestlers your age uh, by mm-hmm. WWE, which is fucking ridiculous. Lady Frost is fucking phenomenal, 37 years old. Um, let's see. Io Shirai doesn't look it, is 32 and has already had a distinguished long career. Um, Britt Baker is 31. Thunder Rosa is 35. Uh, Naomi is 34. And Mickey James is 42. And every single one of these women can still go night in, night out, have families and careers uh, that, that, that work for them, and I don't understand... Okay, I know why men are stupid and sexist. I just don't understand how they continue to be in the face of everything I just said. And I didn't even check Natalia, who is 40 years old and still quite good. And there's so many others that you could pick up. And you go back to 2019, and I think about that uh, that program that Charlotte, Charlotte Flair did with Trish Stratus, which... Trish Stratus stepped away when she was still very, very good in the ring. She had that main event match against um, uh, Lita as, I think, her last match in WWE before she retired. Or was uh, Never mind. I could be getting that all wrong. There's a lot of wrestling to remember. Um, but she came back in 2019 to do a really great program with Charlotte Flair for, Summer, for SummerSlam that year. It was phenomenal. It was it was a show-stealing match between the two of them. And a lot of the promo stuff leading up to it was fucking people calling uh, Trish Grandma. Mm. And it was just this entire ageism, disgusting reality. And the way in which people are living, and you address this in your comments, it is not 1980s. People can, yeah. and even in the 1980s, people were doing this into their 40s and at the top of their game. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I shouldn't say everyone from that era wasn't taking. I, I'm really thinking of like some of the notorious, yeah, drug and alcohol abuse that you know, kind of. But this is what we should come to expect, quite frankly, from a company run by a man with the shit we found out about this week. And mm-hmm. I would like to say I was not surprised. I wasn't even disappointed. But seriously, what the fucking fuck is going on with this bullshit? Um, so, if you haven't heard, and you probably have if you're listening to our podcast, because we don't break news, we talk about the news that gets broken. Um, 
yeah. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that Vince McMahon was under investigation because he had had an affair with a 30-year-old paralegal. Reminder, Vince McMahon is in his 70s. Had an affair with a 30-year-old paralegal whose salary at the time was a $100,000 a year. Vince McMahon is still married, but he and Linda are not together and apparently haven't been for some time. Okay, got it, fine, whatever works for you. And apparently the relationship was consensual, although how can a consensual relationship exist when the boss is asking you out? Exactly. Which is actually against WWE's policies. What ended up happening was, and I'm cobbling this together from the multiple sources that have been reporting it, um, at a certain point the relationship ended because Vince McMahon decided to give her like a toy, that is the quote, to John Laurinaitis. That might be the most disgusting sentence I've said out loud this week. Yep. She was given a two hundred thousand, a raise to two hundred thousand dollars, which absolutely violates sexual harassment policies, as many people have pointed out. And then the lawyer for WWE, who Vince decided to use as his own personal lawyer, negotiated a three million dollar settlement that Vince paid out of his pocket. So WWE did not pay three million dollars to shut her up. Vince personally paid. $3 million in, a cl- in an NDA settlement to shut her up. Um, this gets weirder and worse because, and not enough people are talking about this, apparently Brad Shepard went and doxed who this person was. Yep. And, and if you don't remember who Brad Shepard is, Brad Shepard was an authority figure slash referee in the early 2010s who was fired from WWE and has spent the rest of his life and career just like trying to suck Vince McMahon's dick so he can get her job back. I wish I was exaggerating. I'm not. Uh, just, uh, just don't go to Brad Shepard's Twitter. Just don't, 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 don't do anything that in, interacts with him. And thank, thank you, Sean Rossap, for pointing that shit out. Um, yeah. So this week, uh, it was publicly made clear that Vince McMahon was stepping down as CEO and chairman of the board, and he was replaced by Stephanie McMahon, who apparently. And this is, this is where we get into a little bit of speculation about why she was being buried. Apparently, she was getting tired of the investigation, which started in April. So this isn't new. And she wanted to get away from it. And I would not blame Stephanie, and I don't know if she is, I would not blame Stephanie for being embarrassed by her father at this point. Because this behavior is disgusting, and I'm more disgusted the more that I talk about it. This gets 
weirder still. Um, apparently, uh, Nick Khan, who is the president of WWE, is not involved in any of this. Good on Nick. You're not a, you're not a completely terrible person. But yeah, this is not this is not great. So. <sighs> Last night on Friday Night SmackDown, Vince McMahon decides to open up the show. Walking down, music playing, gets in the ring and says two sentences, reminding the people about the words and the signature, then, now, forever, together. And putting, saying that together is the most important part of that. A not-so-subtle plea for support as he was getting cheered with people singing along to his theme song, Walking Down. And I'm sorry, I don't want to generalize about WWE fans or wrestling fans in general, but there is a lot of bro culture in wrestling fandom. You should, yeah. boo, the, you should boo the shit out of this man. You should boo the fucking shit out of this man. These are some of the quotes that Sean Ross Sapp was able to get. Uh, one talent said they saw Vince McMahon appearing on screen as a, quote, cheap ratings ploy in the middle of something serious, and don't expect much of the culture or presentation of WWE to change with Vince McMahon still around to control creative. Quote, as long as Vince McMahon still has his creative duties, nothing can change. What could possibly be different? If he asks something of Stephanie as interim CEO, is she going to say no, one wrestler said. Uh, there are numerous sources across multiple departments in WWE who have stated to Fightful that they will not communicate to higher up and possibly Vince McMahon himself uh, that appearing on screen in character isn't a good idea. One wrestler feared that Vince McMahon would attempt to turn this into a Vince McMahon versus the world type narrative that existed after the steroid trial as seen in Stephanie McMahon's post 9-11 speech on SmackDown. However, the one source we spoke to that was close to Vince McMahon now and during those eras agreed that this is the biggest threat to McMahon's power since the steroid trial. Fightful was told uh, the same that CNBC was, that, uh, that the script for SmackDown was torn up, though we have learned some basic plans that were uh, in store and we'll cross-reference this after the show. Um, so yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happened here. Dave Meltzer is reporting that he thinks Vince McMahon knows he's going down for this. He thinks that he does not believe Vince is going to be able to worm his way out of this. And it's interesting also to note, John Laurinaitis was not backstage last night. This kind of business-as-usual bullshit is the second worst part of this story. The worst part of this story is the way in which Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis treated this young woman. It's... Oh, go ahead. Go, go, go. I was waiting for you. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's absolutely horrifying on so many levels. And the thing is that I... I was able to, I don't have a subscription to Wall Street Journal, but I was able to read uh, quite a bit of the article 
And they're not just being investigated for this. They're being investigated for multiple other NDAs involving women that worked for WWE. So this sounds like the case with this woman is perhaps the most recent Um, but that there are others that they are looking into. And so, you know, not only do we have a gross abuse of power of a, you know, billionaire in his 70s um, forcing a relationship, you know, with a, a, a young woman who, you know, for a paralegal in the part of the country that the WWE offices are in, $100,000 is really, like, a very basic salary for yeah. that position. It's penny. Um, I mean, I I think paralegals where I'm at make that or more, um, you know. And it's, uh, you know, so there's so many layers to this. And then... The fact that there are other NDAs out there and we don't know, you know, what else um, they did. I mean, it absolutely is this abuse of power, this really um, disgusting example of the patriarchy in action. It is wasting uh, quite a bit of money from WWE because you know that even if Vince paid it out of paid the settlement out of his own money that you know how likely is it that he wasn't using company funds to go on trips with this woman or pay for things um you I mean you know there's there's no question in my mind that he wasn't diverting funds in some way that could have gone to the people that work for him. Uh, and then, you know, Stephanie stepping down and then becoming this like shadow CEO is absolutely disgusting to me. Um, I've lost whatever respect I had for her. Um, and the fact that he retains creative control while so cle- like so clearly abusing power in so many different ways and this being what should be like a final straw for the the people that could tell him no and it isn't a final straw just confirms like everything that i have said about the toxic family system that has become the abusive culture of WWE and it's irredeemable. The, you know, if he, and for him to show up on television, says to me that he thinks he's. I, I disagree with Dave Meltzer. Mm-hmm. I think that I think Vince believes he's he has already gotten away with this because he has such great control still financially in the number of shares that he owns the legacy that he has in the company, the fact that his daughter is the interim CEO, that he has retained creative control, that he can go on television and be cheered. He doesn't He doesn't think that there's a chance he isn't getting away with this. And the really sad, disgusting thing is, is that he could very well be right because he does have 
so much voting power from what I, the little, I, I don't understand how corporate boards work, but from what I was reading, I'm not sure how they would get rid of him. There must be some way, but I don't know if they, I, yeah, and I, I don't know, I don't know if they will, but I think that he's in the headspace of it's all good and he's going to turn this into some kind of sick storyline, which he already has and it's just delusional it's oh it's so many things it's just please can can we have some limits on billionaires in this country it is please. important to note um a few things about this whole thing uh first of all limits on billionaires would be great the term business as usual i'm reading again from frightful's report from yesterday was constantly re- re- reiterated backstage few knew what vince mcmahon was going to say uh to kick off the show um reactions that we received unsolicited in which fightful wasn't looking for comments wrestlers were reaching out to fightful to say what was happening wow ranged from confused to disappointed to enraged i'm going to read the last three paragraphs of this of this because i think it tells us everything we need to know that Everyone who isn't Vince McMahon seems to know this is a big deal. A top talent immediately contacted Fightful and said it was, quote, tone deaf and embarrassing and believed it was his way of putting himself on screen as a power move to lessen the impact of the investigation's findings. A former top talent who left the company said, quote, I'm happy it didn't last long, so I didn't have to sit through whatever bullshit he was going to say but it shows he has no accountability, especially when something is directly his fault. Finally, a person who had worked with Vince McMahon said they were enraged by the appearance and were hopeful that this was the type of situation he'd handle more seriously. The person, the, the person sourced was backstage at the show and said that they were incredulously watching it unfold. It is also important to note that another comment from a wrestler that was found by fight that was that was given to Fightful was that about John Laurinaitis was that I'd rather receive all of my uh, all of my belongings in a trash bag than deal with John Laurinaitis. I'm getting mm. that quote slightly wrong, but this kind of culture that is happening backstage in WWE is disgusting. It is the it needs to be stamped out and um yeah i'm done i will not be watching any more wwe pay-per-views i'll be covering wwe on this podcast because it has to be done but until vince is gone until this is cleaned up until this house is fixed um yeah i'm not gonna bother with SummerSlam. why why would i bother watching a show where the where what they set up last night was let's run down Roman versus Brock one more time. Yeah. Yeah, just done. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. There's there's and it sucks because there's too many good wrestlers uh in there and the last pay per view they had was a really solid pay per view. I watched I mean, I watched two matches on that pay per view and read about the rest, but Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair versus Asuka in a triple threat match was exactly what you would expect when I named those three wrestlers and say triple threat match. Exactly. It was it was it was it was a it was a four and a half star match. 
Cody versus Seth Rollins in Hell in a Cell with Cody fully injured from that quad from that from the not, from that pectoral tear. Mm. I don't know if you saw the pictures of it. Oh yeah. Oh. But he was told, "Look, you can't do any because because it's completely torn, you can't do any more damage. You might as well wrestle." He's like, "Cool." Because <laughs> um, if it wasn't completely torn, this is the weird thing he would have done more damage but since it was completely torn he couldn't do any more damage so go out and blow off this feud that was the best hell in a cell match in the last decade now granted that's a low bar to clear since hell in a cell matches have been pretty shit but cody and seth have put down put told a great story put on a great series and all of that all of that the women's the women's title scenes in wwe being really good the two main event scenes and even a little bit of good development in the mid-card scene and how the tag team scene haven't been really good over the last seven months. I mean, they've been doing good wrestling. Mm. But it's not worth watching if it means supporting this culture and Vince McMahon thinking that he's going to get away with it. Vince has to go. And until he does, I'm not watching WWE anymore other than to cover it for our purposes. Which sucks, because I really, really want to see another good Oscar match. Yeah. Well, we can cover the headlines and see what happens. I mean, yeah. it's a shame. It's, uh... Yeah. Yeah, it, it's over for me. Uh, I, I, it should have been over for me when it was over for you, because you've always been right about this. And I just keep on holding out hope, because there's so many wrestlers that we both love who are wrestling in and working for WWE. So we want them to do well. We want them to have Oh, yeah. We Absolutely. Don't, we want Piper Niven. I'm not going to say her stupid new name. We want Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss, Becky Lynch, Bailey, fucking Bailey, who's still on the shelf, ready to come back, but they've got quote, nothing for her. Yeah. Uh, War Machine. I'm not going to use the th- one of their three new names they've been given since they've been there as a tag team. Uh, Street Profits, an amazing tag team. Uh, Drew McIntyre. I know, I've named all the Scottish wrestlers. What do you want from me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's, it's horrible. And that leads us to talk a little bit more about Sasha and Naomi. So, it was being reported by Raj Giri that um, Sasha Banks had actually been released. When Fightful went digging on this, um, it's very important to say what they actually found. And it's very important to also say that Sean Ross Sapp is backing up Raj Giri, as he did on Twitter, where he said, Raj has good sources, we haven't heard this. And mm. so this is the report they put out three days ago. For those asking about Raj Giri's report of Sasha Banks being released, here's what we know. Sean Ross Sapp spoke with Giri hours prior, who informed him of the claim that Sa- of, Sa- of Banks' release. Fightful reached out to numerous WW reps, one of which got back to us and said, not that I've heard. It's important to, to remember that. Not that I've heard. Hmm. They confirmed later they saw Geary's tweet but didn't comment beyond uh, beyond that. Thus far, nobody in WWE has explicitly shot it down. They've just said they haven't heard about it. Now, that was three days ago. There was a, re- there was a recent um, release about it. 
saying that Sasha Banks's lawyers were trying to get her release. And it hadn't said whether or not it was successful. This was from WrestleTalk. And more and more people seem to think that the release is imminent. Uh, we don't know at this point in time how much time was left on Sasha's contract. We do know what WWE was doing. But to be, to be honest, I have more respect for Sasha and Naomi now than I did when they walked out. And we were already standing them for walking out because their creative was bullshit. Yeah. Using the tag team titles as props to get over the singles titles when you have a roster as talented as they have is bullshit. So, I hope Sasha gets released. I know, unless they've frozen Naomi's contract, she only had a couple of months left. Both of them will be an asset to any place they go. A lot of people want Sasha to go straight to AEW because who doesn't want Sasha Banks versus Thunder Rosa? Oh, wait, we've been pitching that for a while. <laughs> yeah, we have. That would be the best match of the last five years. Yeah. All, do, all due respect to Danielson Omega and Danielson Page and Punk MJF. Sasha Banks versus... Um, and also, all due respect to, to Rosa and, and, and Britt Baker, who put on two absolute bangers. But Sasha versus Thunder Rosa would be such a good match. They could do 25 minutes. They would be brilliant. Yep. Okay, TK, book it. <laughs> at the same time, though, at the same time, though, you, I don't think AEW is the best place for Sasha Banks. Really? I think that the style that she works, there's more talent for her to work with in the way that she works and to put on better matches. I'm not saying she wouldn't have fantastic matches in AEW because she would. But the match I want to see is Sasha Banks versus Lady Frost. Yeah, Go to that Impact, would be really Sasha. good. <laughs> Go to Impact. Yeah. Um, and Impact has, Impact has been having... And again, this is why we have to start covering Impact. They have been having the most consistently good matches for women's wrestlers. They actually take their women's tag team championships seriously. And they have been spotlighting and treating their women's wrestlers just better and better and better. And they were even doing that again, you know, even when they even when even when it was the very sexist TNA and there was still a lot of sexism on that show but you go back and we said it before say it again go back and revisit the Gail Kim versus Awesome Kong feud yeah it's so good and they let they let those those women wrestle you know and there's also another particular match I want to shout out Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell in a ladder match and Taryn Terrell was like a, a, was like a a um authority figure and uh, a, a girlfriend slash valet in WWE when she went to Impact she had hardcore matches with Gail Kim <laughs> just like come on everything you're doing WWE is wrong alright do you have anything to add to Sasha and Naomi no I really don't I mean I get well I guess the one thing 
thing I would add is that, you know, they both of them could easily have careers outside of wrestling as well if mm-hmm. they if they choose to. So, you know, it's it's a loss for WWE and really not for them in my opinion. So yeah. Well, WWE has said that they think they can clone Sasha Banks. <laughs> Well, we'll see how that works out for them because they've they've tried to uh just take people that they that fit Vince's uh sexual stereotypes and turn them into wrestlers before, so Yeah. I would uh, I would imagine that they would just try to do the same thing with uh I mean, that's extremely offensive mm-hmm. <laughs> that they would even say that. I just my mind is just kind of like reeling <laughs> around that right now, but well, then let's pivot away from the offensive bullshit that we've, that we've been talking about. And for the record, we don't want to talk about this shit. There's too much good shit going on right now. But Warner Brothers has ordered MJF removed from all promotional material for AEW. Or did they? And were being worked. <laughs> what do you think is going on with the MJF situation? I don't remember if we got to talk about his promo in the last episode because I didn't listen to it when I edited it. Trash me in the comments for that on Twitter if you like. Um, <laughs> you have dysphoria and listen to your voice back. You, you do that. I'm not doing it. So. Um, yeah. Don't make her. Yeah. You can't make me do anything. I'm over here. Yeah. But, yeah, it just... We, we went into the MJF stuff we went into the promo in the last episode. I'm pretty sure it was really good stuff. There was so much to talk about and so much with the news that happened. And we had a whole discussion on, on journalism and wrestling and everything else. But is are we being worked by AEW acting like MJF is becoming persona non grata? You know, it's so... It would fit with MJF. It would absolutely fit with MJF. Um, I mean, here's someone who has his own parents make public statements about how horrible he is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's almost to me like it's a work until it isn't. And it sort of reminds me of Andy Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the lines are so blurred and MJF's commitment to the character is so strong that, you know, this, I don't know, it it would be incredibly interesting if this is part of the storyline. And I guess I'm just... I'm not sure, and I think that that's really cool that I'm not sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. because, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, like, extremely captivating and interesting to me, and I, and I can't tell, and, you know, that's kind of compelling for me, so. I also think their decision to keep him off TV and act like he's been blackballed, even if he hasn't, is really smart. Because if you remember Money in the Bank 2011, when Punk won the title, when his contract was expiring, 
he was back a week later. He was Hmm. back a week later. It wasn't even a full two weeks. They had Raw the next day. They did the tournament. They they fired John Cena. Triple H took over. John Cena was unfired. The next Monday Night Raw, Miz versus um, uh, Mysterio for the vacant WWE Championship, or the new WWE Championship, as it were. Um, Rey Mysterio wins. John Cena, for some dumb reason, gets a match against Rey Mysterio at the end of the show. Call to personality hits, and it's punk. They couldn't even do a full two weeks. They couldn't even, like, make it what it could have been. <laughs> it was pretty horrible. Um, so, yeah. AEW clearly learning the mistakes of all past promotions. Keep MJ off, MJF off TV. And when he comes back, it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. I don't want him to miss Forbidden Door, which is what we're talking about next. But at the same time, I kind of want him to miss Forbidden Door. (laughs) Well, we shall see. Yep. All right. (laughs) Let's talk about what's been happening with everything going on uh, recently in AEW, because... We have the unfortunate happenstance that CM Punk needs surgery. So an interim AEW championship champion will be crowned. I don't really like how they went about it. But I do like the match we're getting. Are you ready for John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi? <laughs> yeah, I am extremely excited. Yep, that's, that's, that's just good. Oof. Uh, I'm I'm very much into this. Are you also ready for? I didn't know I wanted this match, and now I only want this match. Will Osprey versus Orange Cassidy. Yeah, I. It's the same for me. I never in a million years would I think of this, and it's happening. And I'm like, this is. This is amazing. This is going to be so good. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm stupidly excited for it. <laughs> it gets better. Winner take all for the ROH World Tag Team Championships and the IWGP Tag Team Championships. FTR versus United Empire versus Rapungi Vice. Oh, yeah. Has there ever been a bad match where FTR's in it? Nope. No. Nope, doesn't exist. Nope. Best, nope. best tag team on the planet currently. Sorry, Young Bucks, but... And it's not Living just... legends. Living yeah. legends. Well, also that match between Dax Harwood and, and Will Ospreay. Oh, yeah. All that the was stuff they've so done with good. United Empire. I love Osprey's heel character. I love everything that United Empire is. Because it's such this kind of, hey, just so you all remember, British imperialism was fucking evil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that that match, the just the really classic build-up that they did inside of that match was 
so good and yeah i yeah. i loved it everything they're doing thunder rosa versus tony storm tony storm getting a clean win over dr Britt baker that was nice yep and that was it, really nice Britt baker doesn't need to win or doesn't need to have the championship to be a big deal she is the biggest deal in the women's division she is she is the pace car she is the standard she is putting over other women and building the division up it is fan-fucking-tastic She's going to have a feud with Jamie Hayter down the road. It's going to be brilliant. And it's going to make Jamie Hayter into a huge star. Um, yeah. This division is being built well. It's still not always being booked well, but it's being built well. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and I just want to say, too, that the the Thunder Rosa, Tony Storm kind of, like, build up between them, like, with the amount of respect and interest they have in each other i really like and um yeah so i'm excited to see what they will do in the ring excited delighted not happy with the idea of this match but you know what we're kind of wondering where things were the sex gods Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara, they're calling that their, ta their tag team name. <laughs> Teaming with Minoru Suzuki, what the hell? Hey, he's Minoru Suzuki could be a sex god if he wants. Yes, he could. He, he, he murdered Grandpa, <laughs> we're not going to tell him he can't do anything. I just don't necessarily want him teaming with Chris and Sammy. Um, I love it. <laughs> sure. Versus Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and, and uh, Shota Umino. Um, this match is going to be a banger. I think Wheeler Yuta going to uh, the Blackpool Combat Club is the best thing. Um, it does kind of disturb me. Uh, one of my favorite things that's been happening is Zack Sabre Jr. has already called out uh, Brian Danielson. Mm. I want that match. Everyone should want that match. The two absolute best technical wrestlers on the planet. The, the two men who actually know more holds than Chris Jericho ever proclaimed to know. I mean, the only person <laughs> who knows more holds than either Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson uh, combined is, you know, obviously Emily the Raven. <laughs> so obviously. many holds. So Some, You've lost count. Some that you, your, your eyes would not believe what you're seeing. <laughs> you would instantly forget what you saw because it was so overwhelming yep but it's not it's not all sunshine and roses because originally andrade alidolo was supposed to face will osprey yeah and new japan said sorry can't he has ties to AAA. we work exclusively with cmll so all of the AEW wrestlers who have AAA ties apparently can't work the show and they're ignoring that FTR is the current AAA Tag Team Champions. Now, to, yeah. be fair, to be fair, there's a difference between them holding those belts and occasionally working a AAA show, and Andrade, whose ties to AAA are significantly deeper. Yeah, that's so fair. They're, they're, it's not exactly the same thing, but at the same time... And I understand that AAA and CMLL are currently feuding right now. 
okay, I get it, but guys, I don't speak Spanish, so you're going to need this translated for you. Wrestling is better when all the companies get along and wrestlers can move from territory to territory and have really good matches with the great people in other territories. So, um, stop fighting. All of you. Or we're going to call in Scott DeMore with his Thanos gauntlet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's yeah th this is going to be a great pay-per-view we're going to do a whole preview of this uh next weekend because next weekend the forbidden door is kicked open someone's already scheduled her day off yeah i'm not working on sunday i will i will i will not be working on sunday we're ordering indian food i'm watching aew uh new japan forbidden door i'm gonna have a good time this is just this is gonna be so great this is gonna be it is. I don't think, again, because we're not going to get the great storylines that we were getting into the previous pay-per-views we talked about, I think it's going to be just like Double or Nothing in that it won't be a great pay-per-view, but it will be a solidly fun, enjoyable time. So, you're hyped? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And that's basically all we had for the show. I mean, do you have anything else to, to bring up that, that I didn't put in the notes, Emily? No. Okay. Um, well, it's a short show this week. I know we usually go for about two hours, but I'm trying to cram two podcasts in one night, and I still have two um, Pride Month uh, um, interviews to uh, edit. So if you're interested in those, they should be up relatively soon on the Queue for Fun uh, podcast feed and you can hear myself and Wicked Kitten interview Olivia from uh, for at, from the For Azeroth podcast and uh, the amazingly wonderfully brilliant and delightful Frasley who is a variety streamer and has um, is bringing back her Frazzlecast show by the way Emily at some point I need to put you and Frasley on mics together <laughs> because we had a, we had a, a mild dip into a discussion about being uh, queer and Christian at the same time. And yeah. I regretted not being able to get you into that because I didn't know Frasley was going to go there. I barely remembered that she had talked on Twitter about um, her, her own religious and spiritual journey and her queerness and her transition. So, uh, we will get you, we will get you on uh, talking to her because I think that even as a one-off special that we do, uh, that will be an amazing conversation. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it for Anna and Emily Wrestle podcast. We're going to do our standard outros and promo all the stuff that we do. Uh, first of all, you can follow us on Twitter at Ann Emily Pod. We're not doing much there because we're both really busy. We're very sorry about that. We will probably be live tweeting for uh, Forbidden Door if we aren't just, you know, a slack-jawed watching it amazed at what we're seeing. That might happen. <laughs> um, you can follow Emily at 8BitEmily. You can follow me at Ann underscore Elise. Our Twitters are also kind of inactive because we're really busy, if we hadn't mentioned that before. Uh, and we have a whole host of other shows that we do on this network. We are still doing Q for Fun, our flagship show, which covers Heroes of the Storm and women in LGBTQ, 
LGBTQ plus people in gaming and uh, and esports. We have Anime Sweater, which we're recording tonight. The next episode is going to be covering the show that, quote, saved anime in 2013. Whether or not that's accurate, it's still a banger of a show. We're going to be talking about Kill a Kill. We are going to be recording episode two of the View for Fun podcast next week, where myself, Emily, Sofrashea, and my wife, Dia, will be talking each about a movie that is incredibly important and severely underrated. It's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that discussion. And I am being roped into learning more about the biggest pop band in the world, as Sofrashea is introducing me into, B- into BTS in the Becoming Army podcast. Last, and certainly not least, everyone needs to go and listen to Wicked Kitten's horror podcast, Gore, which you can find at Gore Podcast on Twitter. All the links are at all of our Twitters. Thank you so much for uh, listening to our shows. We really love making them. We'd like to do more of them, but this is a hobby. I know I keep saying that. I know it sounds trite. We're not getting paid. We're just having a good time talking about wrestling. We do have a good time. It is a good time. <laughs> it's better than listening to that fucking ACDC song that opens up SmackDown. <laughs> which Clint purports to have a good time and then SmackDown sucks. So, yeah, I am ready for a good time. Uh, ACDC, that's why I don't watch SmackDown. <laughs> all right, Emily, anything to add to all of that? No. All Stay right. cool. Stay cool out there, everybody. Be careful. So without further ado, we'd like to wish you all adieu and say... Goodbye. And good night. Kenny! Kenny! Kenny!